Welcome back to another episode of Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3. And today, let's take a moment to get in the time machine. And let's go back to the spring of 2008 in the crisp, refreshing air of Michigan State University's campus as I am walking to the chemistry building as I have recently changed my major back to pre-med and I'm preparing for organic chemistry. And as I open the doors and I look around the classroom, I notice right off the bat some gaps. Or at least I notice no one that looks like me. Sure, I've got colleagues in the classroom, people that I've known throughout the program, but I don't see anyone that I recognize with the same racial background. And I go through the semester and I go through the recitations and my grades were not great. Hence why I'm a social worker now. I'm kidding. But it was obvious that there was a strong disconnect for me in being engaged in the classroom because I didn't feel any sense of camaraderie and I didn't sense anyone who had the same background as me. And so I'm excited today to speak to two doctors who are working to ensure underrepresented groups have a fair opportunity to participate in the medical school experience. And specifically today, we're talking about the veterinary medical school experience. And so I'm excited to introduce you all to Dr. Valerie Marcano and Dr. Seth Andrews. Doctors, could you share a little bit about yourselves? I was born in Florida. I've lived in the Caribbean for the first half of my life. Uh, then I moved to New York City for high school and went to undergrad at Cornell University where I studied Spanish and animal sciences and did research. Then I went down to the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine, and there I got my DVM and my PhD. Uh, and I uh, grew up in Western New York, uh, went to Cornell, uh, where I met Valerie. And uh, after a master's uh, and a year working, went down to uh, University of Georgia uh, to join her and do my PhD in bioengineering. And let the folks know what you're doing currently. I work as a poultry veterinarian. I am a technical consultant for a company called Elenco, and I cover the states of North and South Carolina. Uh, and I'm a bioengineer with a uh, biotech company uh, in the Research Triangle area. One of the things that I personally love about equity is its adaptability and the ability to take that equity lens to just about any problem. And so today, as we're describing what you're seeing in veterinary medicine, could you take us back? You know, how did you start to appreciate that equity lens and understand the role that DEI plays in your work? I was fortunate enough to grow in a very diverse environment. Growing, in, growing up in the Dominican Republic, we had neighbors from Germany from Haiti. My cousins are half Italian. And moving to New York City, I was um, 
really lucky to attend Bronx International High School where everybody was from different countries. So everybody that I had met uh, had come from somewhere else and it was fantastic. My, fir my first year at Cornell, I lived in the Holland International Living Center and again was exposed to people from you know all walks of life, different countries, views that were very different from mine and how I had grown up. And then as I advanced more in my degree and got accepted into um, veterinary school, I realized that not everywhere was like that. And not everybody had had the opportunities to interact with people from all different walks of life like I had. And for me, that was a big realization. I wanted everybody to have the opportunities that I had had in expanding, you know, their knowledge of other cultures and of other backgrounds. Um, the veterinary profession is actually one of the widest professions, um, over 90% Caucasian. And for other aspects of diversity, like um, LGBTQ status, veteran status, disability status, we don't even have the statistics. And so I, I wanted to create a space where people could feel confident and have the support that they needed to come into the profession and stay in the profession. Uh, maybe I should have gone first because mine seem, mine's going to seem weak next to Valerie's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my, uh, my real first uh, brush with DEI was uh, probably when I went to undergrad at Cornell. Um, and that was the first time I was really in a diverse environment with people from all sorts of different backgrounds, um, which I think was, was really eye-opening and um, helped me grow a lot as a person. Um, and certainly meeting Valerie and kind of tangentially becoming involved in a lot of the things that she was involved in um, helped to expand my horizons as well. Um, and then uh, similar to what Valerie said, as I, um, as I moved into uh, my PhD and doing graduate work and uh, mentoring uh, a lot of different high school and undergraduate students, um, you really see the kind of the breadth of um, and opportunities and lack of opportunities that people have had uh, throughout their life up until that point and how it has um, really af affected um, their readiness for different uh, academic and professional challenges. Could you paint the picture for us and kind of give us some background as to how did we start seeing some of the disparities in veterinary medicine? Uh, so I'll uh, I'll go ahead here and Valerie can fill in the gaps. Uh, so there's it's it's a multi uh, there's a lot of different uh, problems here, a lot of different aspects that are that need to be addressed. So first, there's a problem with exposure. Um, people often, uh, if unless they have animals, they don't really have that many interactions. Unless their family has animals, they don't have many interactions with vets growing up. Um, and oftentimes their interactions with vets are limited to small animal, uh, small animal practice. And if that doesn't appeal to them, uh, they, you know, they might think that that's all there is to being a vet and, you know, not, not look at it any further, uh, when really there's a large, uh, there's a, there's a whole world, uh, 
uh, as I've learned uh, to veterinary medicine with, uh, you know, as many different specializations and um, uh, ways, as many different specializations as human medicine and then some because you have all the different species. Yeah, so like Seth is saying, is is a, is a multifactorial thing. So the exposure to small animals, but also to equine and food animal species, like you know, the very limited. Not we're all have concentrated around cities, and so people that don't have pets or um, don't have access to agriculture may not have had those experiences and they might not realize that veterinarians are part of literally like every industry that you can think of. Um, we don't do a great job of making ourselves known out there. And um, so there's the accessibility. That's the first portion of it. So being exposed to a veterinarian, being exposed to the profession. And then there's the area of, of how do you get into veterinary school and figuring out what are these requirements? How many hours do I have to do? And then the disparities between different um, different social, individuals of different socioeconomic statuses where um, if you want to explore the veterinary profession, you have to, you usually start through volunteering. And if you come from a lower socioeconomic status, you may not have the time for volunteering work you may want to find something that actually provides some income. And it's something that we struggle with in the veterinary profession. Um, you start as a veterinary assistant or as a volunteer, and then you may not get to bigger positions that pay a lot of money without furthering your education. And in that comes debt. So you have to do an undergraduate degree, and then you have to go to veterinary school you have to complete all of your requirements and you have to do you know thousands of hours to be a competitive applicant and the loans are pretty ridiculous we graduate on average with hundred and sixty thousand dollars in debt um starting salaries are when you compare it to other other professional um other medical professions so dentistry or um physiology uh, physicians um we don't make the salary that they make starting right off the bat. And so if you're going to spend that time furthering your education and doing an additional degree beyond your bachelor's, you're usually going to look at a job that has um, better income when you graduate. Unless you have, you know, that passion for animals and with that comes that exposure. And um, I would kind of expound on that to say um, these kind the, the combination of this kind of lack of um, a lack of knowledge about what you can do as a vet combined with you know if somebody does look into it they immediately see at face value low pay lots of debt that would that's enough to turn anybody off but there's also a lack of um, I, I guess I, would, I don't know I would call it financial and academic literacy and that there are a lot of ways that you can do uh, you can do this come out with a, a well-paying job and um, and less debt than you might think um, there are ways to to do it in a responsible way that you aren't you know saddling yourself with debt for the rest of your life i wouldn't say necessarily that it's not a responsible way though. Um, it is just what it has been for many generations. And I think as a veterinary profession, we need to look at our 
culture and make sure that our individuals have that financial literacy that Seth is speaking of. Yeah, not to put all of the responsibility on the person going through it, of course. I'm so glad that you brought up the culture of the profession because I feel there's a lot of parallel between what you're sharing with veterinary medicine and social work. You know, you take on these expensive, expensive student loans and you come out and they're offering you a job for $40,000. And regardless of what anyone ever says, you know, not getting into it for the money, there's still bills to be paid. And it's just unacceptable that we would identify wages this low as okay or the living wage or it's okay for people to have to take these salaries yeah absolutely we have a lot of veterinarians that are settling right now for salaries of less than seventy thousand dollars graduating with you know one hundred and sixty thousand on average in debt um and then a lot of these um small animal practices the culture is that you work you know 50 to 60 hours a week and so that's not conductive to wellness. We have one of the highest suicide rates of um, all professions and is partly because of the high debt, um, how overworked we are and the fact that we're kind of, we're trained to right off the bat, just go, go, go and go and not necessarily take time to take care of ourselves. We've laid out a lot of the problem and it's the same problem that exists in many other spaces when it comes to diversity and recruitment. But what is the solution and what role do you all play in that? So as Seth was saying before, I think a key component is going to be education. So I'm from the beginning saying these are the challenges we face in the veterinary profession, but this profession can be for you and we can, we can make it for you, right? So exposing individuals that wouldn't otherwise be exposed to veterinary medicine is the first step. And then as a profession, we also have to look look at how do we train those individuals to be successful at what they do. Um, we want to make sure that these individuals know the amount of debt that they are going to be coming out of school with, but also what are ways to minimize that. I mean, there are um, scholarship opportunities for DEI. So the Army has um, a scholarship for veterinary students. Um, USDA has several scholarships also for veterinary students and those usually come with a commitment after you graduate but they can greatly decrease the amount of loans um, that you have when you graduate in addition there are individuals out there financial advisors that work specifically with veterinarians and veterinary students um, some schools are providing some financial liter literacy courses so at the university of georgia we have a practice management course and in that we talk about you know, salary negotiation, what should you start at, um, discuss contracts. And I think that's a very important portion of it, in addition to having mentors that can actually help you navigate through what the challenges are and how kind of how they made it so that you can make more informed decisions. Yeah, uh, kind of wrapping together some of the things that we've see, we've talked about previously with what Valerie just mentioned. Um, there's not only a lack of exposure to just veterinary medicine in general, but for um, underrepresented groups, there's a lack of exposure to people like them practicing veterinary medicine. Um, and that is kind of what 
we're hoping to accomplish with uh, our nonprofit possibilities where we can connect uh, veterinarians and veterinary technicians with students uh, studying to become those, uh, those professions uh, from all different walks of life, no matter uh, through you know, any sort of intersectionality you could, you could think of. Um, you know, somebody that you can talk with and say, you know, what, you know, that can, that can identify with the challenges that you face that have overcome, that have potentially overcome those same challenges and uh, really uh, be an example uh, to you. I know you all are running a nonprofit and I would love to hear about one, the name, because I love that. And two, kind of the mission and vision of the organization, even thinking a little bit about some of the long-term goals. Yeah. So possibilities veterinary medicine is the goal and the vision are to increase the recruitment and retention of underrepresented groups to the veterinary profession. So we're looking at a, step back um, mentoring platform. So for veterinarians and veterinary technicians like Seth said to look back and help train those that are coming before them. So either a person that is already a vet or a vet tech who is earlier in their career or a veterinary student and then have recent grads helping train um, uh, students and then have veterinary and vet tech students training individuals that want to go into vet tech and um, veterinary medical school. Well, I should add that we are looking at a bunch of different aspects of um, DEI as well. Not all, we're looking at um, race and ethnicity, uh, sex, uh, gender, sexual orientation, disability status, veteran status, um, uh, uh, religious minorities, and first generation um, college and graduate students. When I hear that, what I'm imagining is kind of a mentor-mentee relationship. Is that how you would describe it? It is. It is. It is a platform where these relationships can be formed. So it's more of a connecting everybody so that you can find a mentor. Gotcha. Yeah, it's less of a uh, big brothers, big sisters type program, uh, which is very, you know, which is somewhat formal and very defined. Um, and it's, and it's, duration and goals um, and more of a, you know, we'll, we'll help put you guys together, but uh, vet med is a, the road to becoming a vet or a vet tech is, is pretty long and um, you guys check in as often or as little as you think you need to. And how long have you been running possibilities? We've been working on it uh, kind of for the last, on the idea for the last a uh, couple of years, uh, but we really uh, first built the platform up and have started getting people uh, into it to test uh, only just this summer. Tell us a little bit more about how Pausabilities came to be. So what we initially did is, is um, we put out a call and said, just on Facebook, shared a post and just said, would you be interested in a platform for mentoring in veterinary medicine? And we got pretty quickly over 150 responses of individuals saying, um, I would like to mentor, I would like to be a mentee, or I would like to do both. And that was very encouraging. We were identifying individuals in over 30 states. And so we began working on it because it seemed like individuals were interested. 
and we did our first pilot um, at the beginning of this month and that went really well. We made some changes to the platform based on some of the feedback that we got and right now we are working on our second pilot um, which has a little over 50 people and we have gotten some really good feedback as well. And that's certainly great to hear. I think in many cases we find ourselves in these situations where we have to have pilots to generate the evidence for sustainability or the evidence to create buy-in. And for me, I'm just wondering what is it going to take for us to get to a point where that's just the process. Like we just understand that we need to have these mechanisms in place. And aside from that, I know that you all are doing this in addition to your day job, right? This is an, an added bonus, if you will, because you, you appreciate the work, but it's also something that's occurring tangentially. Yes, and we have um, two volunteers at the moment that are helping us. Uh, we do it part-time along with our full-time jobs, and we have a wonderful um, advisory board that um, gives us really good feedback as well. And as we prepare to close today's episode, what's one thing that you really want to drive home for our listeners? Um, I think... For me, it would be that, um, you know, we we can all succeed in STEM and, you know, there are a lot of us doing work out there to make it a better space for individuals from non-traditional backgrounds so that everybody sees themselves represented. What would you say, Seth? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty good. And, and maybe that, um, you know, no matter how how alone you think you are, there's somebody else that's out there that's, that's going through some of the same things that you are, or, uh, you know, has experienced these things. Yeah, and just kind of say, you know, you don't have to be 100% sure that you want to go into vet med to join possibilities. We're looking to, you know, for people to be able to explore the vet med mm. profession. Thinking about folks who are trying to learn more and explore vet med, how can they find you on social media? Uh, yeah, so you can follow us on uh, Instagram or Twitter at Pause VetMed um, or our website, possibilitiesvetmed.com. That's possibilities, P-A-W-S. And uh, we'll be wrapping up our uh, second pilot here shortly. And uh, we hope to uh, launch by the end of September. I think I, one thing that we want to add is that possibilities it's not just about teaching people about the veterinary medical profession it's about teaching people skills that are going to make them successful in you know any profession so we're looking to do things like training and time management public speaking um and you know look at resumes look at financials so we we want to make our individuals that join our group uh, possibilities well-rounded applicants one i wish i would have known about organizations like Pausability when I was an undergrad. You know, even though I was pre-med, it would have been helpful to find an organization that was built around ensuring diverse candidates felt prepared and equipped for um, graduate medical education. And we continue to we continue to hear stories about individuals who walk into a room where they don't see themselves represented, right? So if you 
who have had, even if you have had pets all of your life and you've only seen individuals that look a certain way when you go with your parents or when you go to take your pet to the veterinarian, you may not consider that this is a career for you. And that happens across, you know, many professional careers. So where are the people that look like me? And I think for me, I was exposed to that very early. My mom is a veterinarian. And then all of her colleagues in the Dominican Republic are veterinarians. Nobody at any point told me that I couldn't be a veterinarian if that's what I wanted to do. And I saw myself represented all throughout the profession growing up in the Caribbean. And so moving to the U.S. and stepping into a classroom where I was only, you know, one in um, a very small percentage of individuals that looked like me, for me, it was very eye-opening, but I had at least had the opportunity to not be the minority in the room at a younger age. And so it's the story that we hear over and over and over again, and we want to make sure that people know that if they want to pursue this career, if they're interested in animals, if they want to learn more about it, there are people that are willing to talk to you about it and be good mentors because our our purpose is not just mentoring, it is positive mentoring, it is learning how to mentor people from different backgrounds. It is learning how to encourage individuals not only to join the profession, you know, as a mentor or as a mentee, but to look back and give that opportunity to others. Wow, you really hit the nail on the head right there. I think it's really about creating space and opportunities for others to thrive and to succeed. I mean, from academia and beyond. And so I'm grateful for the work that you all are doing. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about Paul's ability and what the future may hold for our veterinarian workforce as it continues to need diverse candidates and need diverse practitioners. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. And for our listeners, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please, I highly encourage you to follow Pause Abilities on Instagram. That's Pause Vet Med. And also follow us. Um, that's at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on today's episode. Drop them in the comments. Send us a message. Let us know what you're thinking. And as always, you already know, equity matters. Equity matters.